We're going to be looking at lots and lots of verses today, too many to put in the bulletin. And so um, if you want to take notes, though, on the inside cover of the bulletin, there's an outline there that we'll be walking through as we go. We're talking about, uh, in this series, who we are as a church. We're laying the foundations for building not just a great church, but a great city. And uh, the values are what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. The values of the church. These are the things that we see as most important to us. Um, Our vision, you'll remember, our vision is the future that we see. Okay, we've shared with you this vision. Um, Our vision is a renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. Okay, that's the future that we see. This is what we are seeking to build. Okay, our mission then is how we're building. Okay, what are we doing to bring about this renewed city? And our mission is to make disciples who experience Jesus in every area of their lives and share Jesus in every area of the city or every part of the city. And so, if our vision is the future, what we're building, our mission is like the blueprints, how we're building. The question um, then about values, right? What are our values and how do they fit in? Well, our values are the tools that we're using, okay? Our values are the tools that we're using because what are the things, what are the tools that will make disciples who renew the city and honor God? That's what our values answer, and we think there's five. We think there are five values. These are five of the tools that we're going to use as a church so much that we say that they are part of our identity. Okay, there are five values that if you took any one of these away, we would not be Harbor City Church. Okay? And these, these are them. These are the five. Uh, we are gospel-centered, growing in community, living on mission, city-positive, and equipping leaders. We're going to spend the next four weeks diving deep into these values so that we understand them and we know how to use them to make disciples, to renew the city, and to honor God. Okay, and so today we're going to look at this first one, um, being gospel-centered, okay? Being gospel-centered. And and so, now to understand what it means to be gospel-centered, you have to understand really the power of a story, Okay? You have to understand the transforming power and impact of a story. And so I'm going to tell you a story. Um, two weeks ago, I was convinced. This is 14, like 14 days ago, right? Two weeks ago, I was convinced that my dad was dead. Okay? Out of nowhere, without any sign of anything, um, I was convinced that my dad was dead. He had called me on Tuesday morning, and he left a voicemail for me. And later on Tuesday, I called him back on his cell phone. He didn't answer. I called him on his work cell phone. He didn't answer. And then I called him on Wednesday, and his phone went right to voicemail. Right? I called his cell phone that he uses for work. Same thing. It went right to voicemail. And I thought, oh, man, that's my dad. <laughs> Left his phones uncharged, and he's walking around with phones that don't work. Right? This is, this is not uncommon. Well, then on Thursday, again, I called both numbers, and they both went right to voicemail. And I'm thinking, wait a second. This isn't good. Like, and it was kind of one of those things where, like, do I need to go there? Do I not need to go there? And I started to feel a little bit worried, but, um, 
but I still was just thinking, all right, well, there's, there's got to be some explanation for this. Well, so then Friday comes. I call him again. They go right to voicemail. Both of his cell phones went right to voicemail. And so then I took further action. Called my brother. Mike, hey, have you heard from Dad? He said, well, yeah, I heard from him earlier this week, but I haven't heard from him since. And we were supposed to talk on Wednesday, but I called, and his phone just went right to voicemail. Thinking, okay, this is not good. So then um, I called his church and said, hey, boy, this is kind of out of the ordinary. When I was a little kid, like 30, you know, 30 years ago, I, I came here, but it's been a long time. My dad is Larry. Um, he goes to the 8 o'clock morning mass every day. <clears throat> is there anybody in the church that could go and run by his house and, and just visit to see if he's there? Well, we don't really have someone that can do that, but wait, wait, hold on. I know someone who also goes to that mass. Let me give you her name and number, and you can call her. Great. So I get on the phone with her. Call her. Hi, my name's Stephen. I'm the son of Larry Cooper. Um, Here's the situation. I'm worried about my dad, and um, I'm trying to figure out if somebody can go over there and see him. She says, wow, that's interesting, because I saw him earlier this week but I haven't seen him since. And he wasn't there, like I didn't look for him every day, but I know I didn't see him there today at Mass. And for my dad, he's there every single day. And so, you know, I'm starting to get worried. So she says, well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get over there. And I said, well, the problem is my dad lives in a condo complex that's got a gate, and there's no way to, like, call. <laughs> they don't have one of those button things that you push, like we do here. Um, I don't know why, but they, they don't. And I said, so I think what we need is someone who can maybe just hop over the gate, because that's what we do when we go visit him, right? Um, used to be me, now it's the kids, you know. And, um, and she says, well, I'm in my 70s. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah, so she says she can't do it. Um, and now I'm really scared, right? And so she says, well, let me call some of the other people that know him and that are in our circle, but they're all in their 70s and 80s. And so I don't know that we're going to be able to, but let me call and let me see what I can do. And so I said, okay, great. So she then does that. And meanwhile, I go onto Google Earth and I look up my dad's business, right? And I find his business and you get the street view and he works, his business is in a two-story sort of storefront complex. And uh, so I find his business, and I find the name of a business underneath. And so I look up that business on Google, right? And I call them. It's a spa. It's a nail, nail spa. And so I call them, and I say, hey, <laughs> you don't know me. I don't know you. But my dad is in an office upstairs, uh, and, and the, oh, I ended up talking to the owner. And the owner's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. I saw him earlier, but I haven't seen him since. And so let me go check. So he goes and checks. He comes back. He calls me back and says he's not there, and I haven't seen him. And so, you know, then the other woman calls back and says, yeah, I'm sorry. I wish there was something that we could do, but so now I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, like, my dad is gone. My dad is, is dead, and I'm convinced of this. And so I'm about to get in the car and drive up and do, take the trek up to see him. And this woman says, well, why don't you call the police? And so I think, oh, not a bad idea. Um, but before I did that, I thought, wait, hold on a second. Maybe if I zoom in on Google Earth to his house, there's something there. And there was. There was a, there was a home business being run that, is, that shows up in Google Earth. 
right? And uh, it's, uh, it was like a design firm. And so, and it was kind of near the building where my dad's complex is. So I call this business. Hi, <laughs> you don't know me. I don't know you. I'm worried about my dad. I'm hoping you can help. Please don't hang up on me, you know? And, um, and so it turns out that this person I was talking to is not actually in the same complex. It's about a block away. And so can't hop the fence because too old to hop the fence also. And so I finally called the police. And, and they said, look, yeah, we'll, we'll go check it out. Gave me the address, and we'll call you back. And so what am I doing during, those time, like during that time? Like I'm, I'm thinking, I'm planning. My dad is gone. I mean, I know my dad has some health issues. Like he's always had things. He's even told me, hey, Stephen, if anything ever happens, um, these are the things you need to know. These are the places you need to go where things are hidden, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And so I'm playing these scenarios out in my head, and a few hours later, I get the phone call, um, and it's the police. And my heart is racing as I answer the phone. Hello, is this Stephen Cooper? Yes, this is. This is Officer so-and-so. I'm here with your dad, and he's okay. He's okay. I'll tell you what happened here in just a second. But the, 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 the reason that I want you to connect with this story, because I know most of you can connect with, where, with, 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 with what this is, is that, um, man, like, I put together a story based on the facts that were presented to me. And that story began to have a shaping and transforming impact on my life. Are you with me? Like that story began to shape. I stopped doing all kinds of things that I would have done that day. I started doing all kinds of things that I never would have done, that I would have felt really uncomfortable doing because of the story that I believed. And so when, my, when this police officer called, my dad was there and he put on speakerphone. My dad had run out of minutes on his cell phones. I didn't know that you still could run out of minutes <laughs> on cell phones. And so my dad shut both of his phones off because he didn't want to pay for any extra overages. And so, right, so I'm thinking, man, like isn't it, <laughs> I'm like relief, thankful, grateful, a little annoyed, right? A little annoyed. Um, but before I learned, I mean, again, I was convinced. I believed that my dad was dead. I couldn't imagine a scenario. Like, I had tried. I could not imagine a scenario where he wasn't dead. And I experienced anxiety, fear, and stress. I mean, again, it changed me. Um, I had boldness to call people that I wouldn't call, right? Um, but then the officer called to tell me the true story. Okay? The officer called me to tell me what really happened, what the real story was. And because of that, I was able to exchange the emotions of fear and stress and anxiety and worry for relief and gratitude and appreciation and you know, this whole host of other things. This is an illustration of the power that stories have in our lives, okay? The stories, the things that we believe to be true 
have a huge impact on the way that we live our lives. Okay, the stories that we believe have a huge impact on the way that we live our lives. And so, as a church, if we're going to say that we are gospel-centered, what that means is that at the heart of our existence, we believe that something extraordinary happened with Jesus. We believe something extraordinary happened with Jesus. The gospel, the gospel is good news. It's the story that God is telling you. It's the story where God is telling you what's really going on. Are you with me? Okay. The gospel is news that actually recenters our lives. It recenters our lives. And so, First, the first point that I want you to, to write down and to hear is that the gospel is the best story ever told. Okay, the gospel is the best story ever told. And if you quibble with the word story, I get it. I get it. Sometimes we use the word story to mean a fiction story or something that's not true. Um, I'm using the word story here as just, I mean, as the history. You know, history is his story. Right? It's the story of what God is doing in the world. Okay? And so the gospel is the best story ever told. Right? That's what the whole Bible is about. From beginning to end, the Bible is the story of a God who created human beings and created the world. Right? And it's the story of a God who does not give up on them. Okay? That's the story of the Bible. That God made human beings. He made the world that we live in. And he doesn't give up on people. And there are verses in the Bible that you could cut out and you could put it on a bumper sticker. And it kind of summarizes the whole story of the Bible. There are verses that you could cut out and memorize that remind you of the entire thing from beginning to end of the story. And I just want to share some of these things with you. The most famous is John 3.16. Hear it now as a summary of the story of what God is doing in the world. Okay, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is a story of a God and a world and a gift. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a story of a God and a love and a world and a gift for people who don't deserve it. Right? It's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to fix the world. He didn't wait for us to fix ourselves. He didn't wait for us to fix anything. But while we were lost, he came to find us. This is what Luke 19.10 says. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a story of a God and a love, and a world, and a gift. 
It's the story of a son who came to find you exactly where you are, no matter where you are. He came to find you and to rescue you. This is the greatest story ever told. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So here you have the Apostle Paul, right, who spent his life killing Christians, persecuting Jesus, and now has come to this realization that while I was still a sinner and worse than anyone else, Jesus came to save me. It's the greatest story ever told. Ephesians 2 kind of fleshes it out in a little bit more detail. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, so that in the future, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. It's the story of a God and a love and a world. It's a story of brokenness and a rescue. It's a story of new life. It's a story of dignity and honor and power that's being bestowed upon broken people and equipping them, establishing them so that they can walk in new life. This is the story that the Bible tells. Philippians 2, Christ Jesus was in the form of God, but he did not count his equality with God something to exploit. But he humbled himself. He made himself nothing taking on the form of a servant and being born as a man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose and is exalted in heaven. And he did all this because he has this love for these people in this world and he doesn't give up. And so Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Jesus says, I know what works and what doesn't work. I know what can make you truly lastingly happy and what can't. And I have come so that you would be both happy and holy. 
I've come that you might know God and have the pieces of your life begin to make sense again so that you feel like you flourish. Friends, this is the story that the gospel tells. It's the story of a God. It's a story of a people who are wayward and lost. It's a story of this group of people, some of whom are at war with God and want nothing to do with him, some of whom are really just indifferent and don't think about it very much, some of whom are trying to know this God and can't figure out how to, how to make it all make sense. This is the God who knows what we need and came. He came. Jesus is God the Son. He came to rescue us from our sin. He came to set us free from sin, from selfishness, from anger, from bitterness. God, who was the one most offended by our indifference or hostility, the one most offended, he came to forgive and he rescues us. And what is extraordinary about this story. What's extraordinary about the gospel is that he came as a baby. He shows up on the scene and we have a manger. Right? He came needy, dependent, and humble. <clears throat> he came with a plan to rescue, of course. But before he rescued, he came to understand. He came to be with us. He came in a way so that no one could ever say, God, you don't understand what it's like to be me. This is the best story that has been ever told. The story goes on. Jesus sees us at our worst. And he says in Luke 23, 34, while they're crucifying him, he says, Father, Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Man. He understands. He knows why we do what we do. And he forgives. To say that we're gospel-centered, it means that this story is at the core of everything that we are. This is the story that's at the heart of of who we are as a church. This is the story that we want to plant so deeply into our hearts, into our minds, that it will literally be lenses through which we see everything in life. This is the story that's the foundation. These are the, it's, it's the story that provides probably the best tool that we have to both renew people and to renew a city. I know that there are some of you here who don't yet believe this story. You don't know that this story is true. You haven't put your faith in this story. And I guess I just want to ask you just one question. Even if you don't believe in this story yet, don't you wish that this was true? Like, don't you wish that if there is a God, or that if you could know God, don't you wish that this is what he'd be like? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if this was true? Wouldn't it be amazing if the one who created everything entered in because he cares and he won't give up? Man. 
when we know this is true, when we come to believe it, it changes things, doesn't it? When we know that we've been loved by God, when we know that, that, that God has done these things for us, doesn't it speak to and affect how you treat other people? Doesn't it change the way you think about the circumstances of life? This is the story that changes everything. It's the best story ever told. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is that even though this is the best story ever told, it's our second point, that we live by other stories. Right? We live by other stories, don't we? I mean, this story is so good, it's so glorious, and you begin to think, oh man, wait a second, if that's really true, oh, can I really treat my relatives like this? Right? If God has loved me in this amazing way, can I really respond like this at work? And yet we do. We do, and it's, it, the reason we do is because at the, at the heart, we live by other stories. There are all kinds of stories that are being offered to you every day as stories that you can use to live your life. Okay, these stories come at us in commercials. They come at us on, in television shows, in movies. I mean, everything. I mean, there are stories that come at us. And oftentimes we walk in those stories and our lives tell a different story. Um, Donald Miller, who's written a book called Storyline, which does a pretty good job of zooming in on, on this idea, um, he asks this question. He says, if your life was a DVD, okay, if your life was, was a movie, turned into a movie, um, and you picture it at Blockbuster or in Redbox, um, and you think about the, the box, what's the tagline? What would be the tagline on the DVD of your life's story? I thought of a few. <clears throat> How about the woman who needed control to be happy and never had it, so never was? That's the story that some people are living today. Or the man who put his career over family and wasn't happy with either. The teenager who ran with the wrong crowd and her life ended up meaningless. The person who dabbled in everything but never committed to anything. Or the man who thought success meant never having to push himself. I mean, all of our lives are telling a story. Think about it for a second. What is the story that you think your life is telling? I think there are pointed ways that we get these alternative stories. Um, religions are explicit efforts to provide sort of this grand meta-narrative, this grand story that you can live your life by. And, and I think different religions have different versions of stories. They have different stories that they tell that they try to convince us of. Um, I thought about one in particular that I thought might be helpful sharing because it highlights some of the uniqueness of Christianity. Um, think about Islam. Islam's belief that God is one. There is a oneness to God that is sort of um, unshakable. It's a, it's a pillar. It's a value of the, of the Islamic faith. 
And what Tim Keller has pointed out, and I think just very insightfully, um, he said that when God is one, then what's at the core of the universe is power. Okay? If God is one, then at the core of the universe you have this all-powerful being. And the way that that begins to shape the lives of the people who follow that story is that power becomes the most important thing. Now, contrast that with Christianity. Christianity, of course, we believe that there is one God, and yet this one God has manifested himself in three persons. And the Bible reveals that in a way that is mysterious to us that we can't really fully wrap our minds around, which doesn't surprise us if we're talking about the essence of God, because if we could understand him, well, then we might not be human anymore. Um, but when you think about the, the triune nature of God, right, that you have one and three, Tim Keller says that the Christian Trinitarian God means that at the core of the universe, what you have isn't power, but it's love. Because what you see in some of the hints that we get in the scriptures is you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who are loving each other and honoring each other and serving each other. And so at the core of the universe for Christians is love. There is this loving God whose very identity as God, being three persons in the one God, um, speaks, and that love ought to be filling the lives of those who follow and believe in that story. The stories that we believe don't just affect us in our persons, but they also affect the way, the things that we expect from others. Um, there was a professor who was given, um, uh, who, who showed up to a, a new college, and he was given a class to teach. And he was given sort of an introductory class. Uh, it, was a, it was a Christian college, so it was like a, it was an introduction to theology class. And um, so it was a class that all the students had to take, and they broke this class up into sections. And one of the senior professors came to this younger professor and was a bit disgruntled. And he said, yeah, this is ridiculous, because you're new here, and they gave you section one. And the professor, the new professor said, wait, wait, they gave me like four sections. I'm teaching this class four times. What are you talking about? And he said, yeah, but you got section one. So there's other professors that got other sections. So you have four, but there's other sections that are being taught by other professors. But you got section one. And section one, that's the students that the school believes have the most potential, have the greatest gifts, have the best scores. And the fact that you got to teach them, frankly, I think is ridiculous. It's unfair. And so this professor said, wow, okay, well, sorry if you want to. He didn't really know what to do with it. So he just, they went on. Well, so... Throughout that semester, true to form, that section one class did markedly better than all the rest. Um, that class was smarter, it was brighter, the discussions were better, it was more lively, students were much more engaged, and, um, and so this press professor thought, wow, like this is actually a really great class to teach, I'm really thankful that I got section one. Um, and so after the semester, when grades went in, um, he was walking with the academic dean, and the professor just said in passing, hey, you know, I don't know who, I don't know why, but thanks for giving me section one. 
And the academic dean said, what are you talking about? The professor said, well, yeah, you know, Professor so-and-so let me know that section one is the best and the brightest. And the academic dean stopped as they were walking together. He looked at him and he said, we haven't done that for 15 years. And the professor realized that there was actually no difference between section one and the other sections that he was given to teach. There was no difference in the students. There was no difference in their giftedness. There was no difference in their intelligence. What was the only difference? It's the story that he believed. He believed that they were smarter, and so he treated them as though they were smarter. He believed that they were brighter, so he treated them. He believed they were more gifted. And, and it radically changed his attitude. It radically changed his perspective. It changed the way he treated them because he expected more from them. It's fascinating, isn't it? The stories that we believe. Friends, what are the stories that you are believing in your life? Because they affect not just you, but they affect the people around you. I mean, this was an amazing story of a positive expectation producing a positive impact in a class. But how often do the stories, the negative stories that we believe, of thinking that we are never going to get this, that we're never going to grow, thinking that we're never going to understand, thinking that we deserve this, generate hope exists in part to try to convince women who have been enslaved that this is not who they really are. And yet so many of us, we live in these other stories. We live in these other stories. And we need to understand what these stories are so that we can have God, have the gospel tell us what's really going on. And so that's our third point. The gospel is the best story ever told. We live by other stories. Third, the gospel redeems other stories. The gospel redeems other stories. There's really two parts to having the gospel redeem your story. Um, You need to believe it, and then you need to share it. You believe it, and then you share it. That's this third point. Jesus even said, they they went to Jesus one time in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and they said, okay, Jesus, all right, all right, 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 Jesus, 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 okay, okay. Just tell us, what are the works of God so that we can do them? Like, tell us, what are the works of God? What does God want us to do? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says in John 6, verse 29, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus said, this story is the best story ever told of a love that knows no bounds, of a sacrifice that knows no limit, of a power that is expressed through love that changes and renews and restores Jesus says, I want you to know the story, but I want you to believe the story. You've got to believe the story. You've got to believe that this is true. And so gospel, the gospel redeeming other stories, the gospel redeeming your life begins with Jesus and his victory. 
most religions will say that the key to happiness is to do, 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 do. But the gospel comes to us and it says, done. You don't have to do anything for the gospel to redeem your story. You just need to reach out and trust Jesus. You need to believe in what he has already done. And that is the good news and the extravagant grace of God. And there are religions that are telling people to do this and to do that. There are churches that are telling people, if you want to be happy, you need to do this and do that and do this and do that. And Jesus is here saying, I have done it all. There is nothing for you to do in order to be saved. You just need to trust me. I have achieved the victory. And it was done before you were born. And this is the story that you need to believe. You need to let go of other stories and realize that there is a God and there is a love and there is a world and there is a gift for you. What happens? What happens when you believe this story? If we go back, it redeems our stories. The woman who needed control to be happy and never had it, so never was. When the gospel gets a hold of her life, she says, you know what? I was a woman who needed, to con- who needed control to be happy, and I never had it, so I never was, until I met Jesus. And all of a sudden, I realized that God is in control, and I don't need to be in control. And so I can accept my circumstances. I don't have to be in control. And I can be happy because Jesus was in control. I mean, I can look at the cross and say Jesus was the most out of control, and he succumbed to that. So that when I'm out of control, I know that I'm never outside of the loving hands of God. The man who put his career over family and wasn't happy with either. When the gospel gets a hold of his story, he says, you know what? I put my career over my family and I wasn't happy with either until I met Jesus. And then I realized that my family and my career are both things that I can't make chief in my life. And I put Jesus first. And I asked Jesus to teach me about my career and my family and he has given both back to me. And I don't have the career that I wanted, I don't have the family that I wanted, but I am truly happy with both. The teenager who ran with the wrong crowd and her life ended up meaningless. And when the gospel redeems her story, she says, you know what? I was running with the wrong crowd. My life was meaningless. And then I met Jesus. And he taught me that he died for me. So as far as God's concerned, my life does have meaning. And because he has loved me, everything has changed. And I run with all kinds of people now. People that know him and people who don't. So that I can give meaning to others. 
It's the word until. It's the word but then that is key to the redemption of our stories. No matter what the story has been up to this point, you can allow the gospel to redeem your story. I am fill in the blank. I have been fill in the blank. I have yesterday fill in the blank. Until Jesus met me. And now I'm connected to this story that God has been telling from the beginning of time. Now I'm involved in a story of a God who loves the world and loves me somehow and gave himself for me so that I might be forgiven and set free. And I want my life to say thank you. I want my life to say, I can't believe that this is true. But it is. This story grows me. This story grows us. As you realize that as you realize the reality of God and the story that he is telling, it changes everything. And so you have to believe it, and then you have to share it. Then you have to share it. And this is the place where you become a leader, right? The only thing you need to become a leader in some ways uh, for Jesus is to be able to share this best story ever told. All you need to do is share the story that means so much to you. One of the ways, one of our values is to equip leaders. And we see equipping leaders in all four of the previous values. And so as a gospel-centered church, we want you to be gospel-centered people. And we want to equip you so not only that you believe the gospel yourself, but that you would share the gospel with others. Because there are other Christians in this church who need to be reminded, who need this good news story to be told into their lives. There are non-Christians Here in the church, there are non-Christians in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods who need someone to be able to share the gospel with them. They need to hear the gospel, and they need to see the gospel in your life. There's been some discussion about our new logo and uh, about why it doesn't have a cross in it. You know, we're a church. Where's the cross? And uh, we didn't intend for this, but I thought about it this week. I was having a discussion with somebody, and I realized, you know what? Um, I think it's best that we not have a cross in our logo because if people don't see the cross in our lives, they will never see the cross in our church. And so sharing the gospel, sharing this good news Um, is in in terms of what we say and what we do. Like, this is how the cross becomes chief in our lives. It's because we're gospel-centered. People will see you when they see you making decisions that revolve around the story of Jesus. When they see you making decisions, when they see you doing things differently, when they see you saying things and reacting to, to things that are different, They'll see the reality of Jesus in your life, and you'll have a chance to share with them. If you're just honest about who you are, if you're just honest that you believe that this story is true, this is the story of God, 
of a God and a world and a love and a gift. When you can do this, when you get to this place, you can have a sense of victory that is completely free from any circumstance in your life. There is true freedom, not because all of your life all of a sudden begins to work out the way it's supposed to, but because the most important thing in your life, your relationship with God, has worked out and that God is present with you. This is the story, this gospel, this is, uh, this is the story that redeems our stories. And I want to encourage you to exchange the stories that you believe for this one. Ask yourself this week, what are the stories that my life is telling? And how can I grow so that my life begins to tell this story? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this best story ever told. And it can only come from you. It can only come from you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for the love that it shows. We thank you for the nearness that it proves to us. We thank you, Jesus, uh, for not just shouting a solution from heaven, but from, for coming. We thank you for being near to us and understanding us before you, before you rescue us. Jesus, we pray that this story becomes the theme of our lives. We pray that this story becomes the story of our lives. That we have been loved by you, and so we love others. That we have been renewed by you and by your love. And so we reach out to renew and to care for others with a love that is sacrificial, with a joy that circumstances can't touch. Drive this home for us and help us to touch each other's lives so that as a family we're growing in this together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.